Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Dana Dennis-Smith, the founder and CEO of Obelisk Support, a UK-based company that provides flexible legal services worldwide. Hi, Dana. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. So, Dana, tell us about your background and the genesis of Obelisk Support. I qualified as a lawyer relatively late in life. I used to be a journalist. That's where I started my working life. I was born in Transylvania in Romania and came over here as a journalist writing for various publications. The last job I had was with the Economist Group and I then decided to become a lawyer and qualified in one of the magic circle law firms as they are known. So I decided to join the legal profession because I felt it was all about words. So journalism and law I felt had a lot in common from that point of view. I qualified and left very soon after qualifying because I felt the partnership model didn't feel like it fit in me very well. I realized I was much more entrepreneurial. I was a bit of a free spirit, probably from my experience as a journalist of being out and about, speaking to a lot of people, gathering stories and just listening a lot to humanity and people's lives. And I felt the corporate world was very different and didn't really suit me. I then started a completely non-legal industry-related business focused on political economy and forecasting in emerging markets because that was something that I had done before as a journalist and I had a lot of expertise in. I soon realized that the consulting model didn't suit me because it was very restricted around how you could scale a business. Once you became an expert entrepreneur, you became the block of growing your business I was looking for a much more scalable idea of a business that I could be managing it as opposed to working in it. That's when a part of a journey to India, part of a mini MBA, I came up with this idea of outsourcing to a lot of primarily mothers working from home doing legal work. So I returned to the legal industry with this mission of re-engaging people that were dropping out from the legal profession because of the way in which we used to work and be stuck in the office for 24 hours at a time. A lot of talent was being wasted and I wanted to ensure that there was a life in law that didn't involve the nine to five and that talent that was great didn't disconnect. So I came back and I came up with this idea of outsourcing by what I call home sourcing, empowering every person in their own house to continue to work. Given your focus on home sourcing, how has Obelisk support adapted to the COVID-19 crisis? It's great that the world caught up with us. I mean, obviously, the world is in turmoil and it's, if you like, force majeure situation around how people have ended up working in a way that we've always championed work in the home. But it is great that it's pushed for it to be adopted so quickly and everybody has seen that it works. Of course, there are things that we can iron out. But when you look at the economic output of the last three months or so around the world, really most of it is down to people being at home or being key workers. Really, it's great to see the impact that homeworking has made in the economy. What have the challenges been to homeworking in the past? A lot of the challenges were not really 
challenges in terms of how people could do their work from home, but more a perception gap around what people thought people were doing when working from home. So from our point of view, it always delivered speed and definitely more happiness on the worker side, especially people that wanted to opt into this model to allow them to be around their children, to commute less, to remain more embedded in their local economy and local community. And they were always looking for a way of maintaining their legal professional life and doing this local work, but it wasn't available. It's really great that we're able to now really see that it can work for everybody. And it's a really good way of keeping people, especially under pressure, still in a good mental space because they can be safe at home, mostly. Generally speaking, people have been able to transition. In the past, I think a lot of the barriers were around client perception that there's a security issue, there's confidentiality issue. Maybe a distrust of how technology worked, really, because the transition that we've seen some of the technologies, for example, Microsoft, it's always been a preferred tool for lawyers anyway because of the word function. But a lot of them have migrated to a Microsoft team space with no much of an issue. But I think there was a perception gap that somehow you couldn't make it work in a way that's secure, that isn't disruptive. We obviously have seen that a lot of those fears were not really justified. A law firm was as much under the threat of hackers before COVID as it is now. I don't think we're seeing anything other than digital law coming into play. And yes, when you are online, you're more digital than you are exposed maybe to more threats, but the world is going into the cloud. So the idea that somehow you can stay monologue in a digital world is just not of the future. So I think people have realized that that digital is part of what good business is all about. Then you have to create safeguards around it. But I think when I started the business and I championed this, there were many unknowns. There was a very early wave of digitizing law. Also, when you're a startup and you're a newcomer and you're trying to champion something that people haven't maybe thought about or they had a goal but they didn't know how to tackle it, being a young business comes with challenges around how you are perceived. Are you ready? Are you safe enough for us to do business with you? Those are just obstacles that happen to any business that starts off. But every business has started small. So it's not as if the inventor of the light bulb invented everything that involved electricity. They've come with one item at a time and then they grew from there by continuously improving what they offered. So I think it was a timing issue, but also fears around processes that were in existence and they felt very difficult to shift. And it was for us to stay in the market and keep persuading our buyers that they had nothing to fear. And then I'm really happy in a way that this current crisis has shown that the fears weren't really necessary, but it's a great transformation for everybody who's looking to work in a different way. Do you think that this home sourcing appeal will continue once organizations determine the most effective ways to send their employees back to a central office? I do not envisage a world that will return to what we had before. 
in terms of the primary workplace being an office workplace and taking precedence over every other way of working. I think it's going to be much more of a mixed environment of work that involves almost everybody being part of what would be called a dispersed workforce with some kind of geographical clusters to meet and maybe they'll be called offices. But I don't think we'll return to that industrial scale way of working that we had before. That's a good thing because I think, especially as we're coming through and we're talking about different waves still to come in this pandemic, you do need that local healing and community participation from everybody. And I think it's almost wrong to force people back when that hasn't happened. And that can really create very, very different cultural challenges for organizations around mental health and just breaking people. And I don't think that's worth the price you'll end up paying for it. And also, I think a lot of the legal services, especially in the legal sector, a lot of our services are back office type services that don't require that constant presence, unless you're obviously in court or in a tribunal, and that's a different But in the business advisory space where we operate and the enterprise level, I don't see why we couldn't continue to do this really effectively. And some of our clients that embarked on this digital transformation ahead of others, we've worked with them, tens of thousands of remote legal support for years. And it's worked for them and their teams have been built with this agility at the core of them. And it's clearly working for them as well. Also, I think, again, in industry, you have very, very different sectors and they will return people in very different ways. But even those that are coming to an office, they require more space purely for health and safety reasons. You can't return 100% of the workforce because you need to distance them. And so you'll end up with front of house coming in first, taking more space in the same kind of building. So it will take time. So I'm not seeing legal being prioritized as industry returns to be necessarily in the office. So I think that's probably the shape of things to come, at least for the next three years, probably. Do we have a need for closer interaction, face-to-face meetings? For sure. But they're learning to work around it. You produce a lot of research to empower female founders. What has your work shown? It's not a great picture, really. And I think that's because the legal profession, it's slightly more deregulated over here, but it's had a very, very traditional model here. For example, you have separation between barristers, solicitors. But generally speaking, it was the partnership model and you couldn't really do it many other ways outside it. So it didn't really have an opportunity for women to show they can be entrepreneurs outside of being a partner in a law firm. Whereas now with deregulation, you have much more technology coming in, many more solutions, legal designers, people offering different types of services to create a more efficient and affordable and accessible legal system. So women have come through, I think, because of it. Otherwise, there might be some partners in law firms. So from that point of view, it's great that we have some women entrepreneurs in the legal space. But when I did my research and I went through, especially I went for looking into how much they're able to raise, because obviously the legal tech and legal space has now become much more attractive to investment. And I was really keen to see how many women raised over a million pounds to fund their businesses in the scale model of Silicon Valley, if you like. And I didn't really know what I'll find. I mean, I had an intuition because in my 10 years of running the business, I hardly ever came across other female founders in the legal profession that had managed to scale beyond being a sole practitioner in an office, maybe with an assistant. I did always wonder where the women were. So when I sat down to the research, 
I identified about 260 companies that had at least one female founder in them that had raised some money, but it wasn't clear what the sources of money was. And then I did a survey to follow that up and I had about a quarter of them respond and I discovered that literally you could count them on two hands, the number of women globally that have managed to raise over a million it's like one per country. That was quite a upsetting picture, really, because I realized we didn't really know who they were. We didn't really know what they did. And also the average they raised was about $200,000. So I asked them how they found it and what they've learned from fundraising. And some of the things they were being asked was just so distressing, really. I mean, from things like, have you frozen your eggs, if you mean business? It was almost degrading, as if why would you want to scale a company? Isn't your place in the home? And I felt that's quite old-fashioned and really almost unacceptable. So I kept creating this tribe of female founders-in-law to see what we can learn from one another, maybe what we can help each other with and create a more collective and stronger view that these women that are setting up businesses and are scaling, like myself, really do mean to scale their businesses and to provide change to the legal sector they also need to be more visible. They do exist. So it's early days because I've only started doing this in January this year. But it's great to see. I mean, we had a tribe get together and we had people that joined us from everywhere in the world. And that was really exciting to hear how much we have in common and how much is local geography. But a lot of it is to do with a worldview of what it means to be a working mum very often or a woman in business. So I am at the start of this initiative to join up this group of women and grow it and to differentiate them, not just as law firm owners, but also different types of suppliers to the legal sector. So what do women have to offer? What have they set up to sell and offer the legal sector? And how can we give them that access to be visible and to have their products bought? Given all of this research that you've done, all of your experience, what skills do you see as necessary to thrive in the current environment and moving forward? I always differentiate between skills that involve character traits and then technical skills. In this kind of crisis, character comes first because it reveals many things about a person, everything for why you set up a business. Are you prepared to fight all the way to keep the business going? Or have you just tried to have it as a financial line for your family, which is perfectly acceptable. Different people have different arrangements. What is your resilience? What is your leadership style? So they're different questions from the day-to-day, what is the product I sell, which is another question. As a business owner, I think to some degree you do that all the time. You always have to review and ask yourself whether what you have to sell is still valuable to the market. When you have a shift, for example, in our case, a business that was set up around empowering people to work from home, and now everybody appears to be empowered to work from home, asking yourself, why do you need to exist is obviously important, I think. Every business owner is asking that tough question. So apart from the character traits and how you have an opportunity to redefine and also express them, there are the usual technical skills, and especially around the team that you surround yourself. Do you have the right people in the team? And do you have good financial management around your cash flow and all those things that are critical for 
running a successful business in times of peace or war, you know, and making sure that you have all the business health in mind and have you done a good review. As a lawyer, if I break it down, so what if you are one of the 2,000 lawyers that sits on our platform? How do you need to be? Now, obviously, a lot of these individuals chose to work flexibly in a self-employed way as consultants because they want to have the freedom to decide what they want to do. It can be a very unnerving time for them because you might not have the financial security, you might not know when the next job is coming. So being current and maintaining a degree of optimism is really important because nobody wants to recruit somebody who's very negative. So helping individual lawyers, not necessarily to hold on just the technical skills, but to not allow themselves to be worn out too much. So I guess it's more around their mental health, their state of mind, their belief in their own technical skill is as important as giving them more PSL or other reading resources and giving them access to them. Obviously, a lot of the legislation's changing. If you look at all the bailouts, there's a lot of government-backed loans coming through. There's a lot of employment regulation On the loan side, we'll probably have a lot of restructuring of those loans and a lot of capital markets behavior later down the line. So there's definitely a lot of work and there's still the work that we had to do before. It's not gone away. So there's definitely enough work and we just need to hold our nerve to make sure that as the world regains definition, they have the skills, but also they have the attitude because I think a lot of businesses do recruit for the mix. They will never just select somebody who's got the perfect technical skills, but they're not culturally aligned. So being self-aware and making sure that you could empathize with what that particular organization might have gone through, what they're going through. A lot of sectors are in distress. So bring humility and curiosity and a really supportive attitude is as important as knowing how good you are as a lawyer. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Dana Dennis-Smith, the founder and CEO of Obelisk Support, a UK-based company that provides flexible legal services worldwide. Dana, it's been an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.